Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Ukraine's President Zelensky urges Ireland to show more leadership on the war as he made his historic address to the houses of the Oireachtas today. I'd like to ask you to convince EU partners to introduce even more rigid sanctions against Russia that would really make sure that the Russian war machine will stop. And I'm here in Cork as we look at how the latest central bank forecasts will impact the regions and how businesses in particular are feeling the pinch. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. We start tonight with that historic address by Ukraine's president to the joint houses of the Oireachtas. Before now, only 10 world leaders have done so. And today, Vladimir Zelensky joined the likes of John F. Kennedy, Bill Clinton and Nelson Mandela on that distinguished role of honour. TDs and senators packed the Leinster House chamber to hear the historic address from the heart of war-torn Kyiv, the first ever via video link. The Ukrainian president urged Ireland to push the EU for more rigid sanctions against Russia, saying they're urgently needed to halt Moscow's war machine. Wartime leader Vladimir Zelensky also described the horrors of conflict in his country and the alleged atrocities committed by Russian forces. Although you are a neutral country, you have not uh, remained neutral to uh, the disaster and to the mishaps that Russia has brought to Ukraine. I would like to ask you to convince EU partners to introduce even more rigid sanctions against Russia that would really make sure that the Russian war machine will stop. We have to uh, put an end to trading with Russia. And we want the strongest possible sanctions against the Russian Federation and will pursue those. And that is why also we support the establishment of a Solidarity Trust Fund for Ukraine, agreed by European Union leaders when we met in Brussels on the 24th of March to support the government of Ukraine now and when the war is over to support reconstruction. That is why I have welcomed and support Ukraine's application for European Union membership. Well, here in studio to discuss is Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan, Fine Gael Senator Barry Ward and political correspondent for Virgin Media News, Gavin Riley. And Gavin, to come to you first, uh, this was Vladimir Zelensky's latest speech uh, to a national parliament. How did he tailor this speech, do you think, to an Irish audience in asking for help? 
Uh, I don't think it was actually terribly tailored to an Irish audience. And I think that the point you make there in introduction is a very salient one, that this is just the latest in a series, almost a conveyor belt of addresses that Vladimir Zelensky has been making to parliaments around the world. It has almost become second nature at this point. He seems to spend a large chunk of every day doing that. So if he's not addressing the people of Ukraine directly, he's addressing countries elsewhere around the world. And it was very striking on that note that there wasn't the usual pleasantries that you might have at the start of an address by a, a visiting or a delegated uh, head of government from another country. There wasn't any st story about the great time that I had in Ireland the last time that I was there and I'm pleased to be addressing you but I'm sorry about the circumstances. It was directly into it. It was, good morning everybody, the bombardment continues and this is what Russia did yesterday. There was no pleasantries around it. The bit that was tailored towards Ireland was, well, what can Ireland do around all of this? Aside from it being a status update, what can Ireland do to try and help the cause of Ukraine? What am I asking for you from today? And knowing that Ireland is a militarily neutral country, and that was acknowledged, so there isn't any question of Ireland providing lethal aid, then it was, well, what can Ireland do to pressure other countries, whether it's at the UN or at the European Council? And it was clearly as much sanctions as possible, be as aggressive as possible, make Russia into something of a pariah state. And the Taoiseach, in his reply, appeared to talk the talk, whether he walks the walk and, and goes for the full gamut of sanctions that are possible, of course, is another question. Yeah, there's also been some reaction to the reaction to that speech and, and everyone in the chamber stood up, but not everyone applauded. There was a small minority for people before Prophet TDs who chose not to clap following that speech. There's been some reaction to that um, from the Minister for Foreign Affairs this evening. Yeah, Simon Coveney he has been speaking this evening and he has had a lot, very little tolerance, it must be said, for the, the stance taken by the four people for Prophet TDs. Now, they say that they're, they're not refusing to applaud because they don't support what is going on and the people of Ukraine. Uh, they don't support the, the actions of Vladimir Putin. They also make a point of saying as well. The reason why they were standing is because they were standing in solidarity with the people of Ukraine, but they weren't applauding because they reckon that Vladimir Zelensky's way of going about things is the incorrect approach, that Vladimir Zelensky is looking for a no-fly zone, which is basically more militarization where they want less. And they also say, and this is quite an interesting point, that the sanctions being undertaken now against Russia are harming ordinary, everyday Russian people who have nothing to do with the Kremlin and who don't support the war, and they don't support then further sanctions in the manner that Zelensky is addressing. That is a stance which has been completely rejected this evening by Simon Coveney. He says that effectively, if you're not going to applaud Vladimir Zelensky, then you evidently are not supporting his country in its struggle. There is obviously more nuance to it than that, but there is a lot, very little tolerance or very little sympathy across the rest of the spectrum, I think it has to be said for the stance of PPP. Um, Lynn, what do you think um, about that stance? You know, as a member of a party also on the left, do you respect what people before Prophet TDs did today? Well, I, I know they, they released a statement and as Gav has outlined, their, their reasons or their rationale for it, I'm not going to answer for why they took that decision. I don't agree with the decision they took. Um, you know, I think everybody there you know, there's nuances across the board as to how you would approach this situation, but you were listening to a leader of a country and he was outlining the butchery that's taking place. And I think everybody stood up and applauded and that was in solidarity with um, the Ukraine leader and the, the, the message he sent to us, which is his people are dying and he's looking for the strongest possible sanctions. I'm asking you because I suppose decisions that you've made and a view that, that you've put out before and your party has put out before would seem to, to align with what people before profit have said around this, have said that, you know, no fly zone doesn't work, you know, against NATO expansion and, and you know, while 
that the condemn, condemnation of Russian aggression was something that you voted against back in 2019. So from that point of view, do you see where they're coming from? Do you agree with what, what they have to say? No, I think that's the point in that there's nuances. I mean, being opposed to NATO expansion, being opposed to a no-fly zone, which could lead us to a nuclear war, is very different to being opposed to sanctions, which is one of the things that neutral countries can do. And that's why Mary Lou Macdonald was calling for the expulsion of the ambassador as a very strong message that a neutral country can, can call out. When it comes to the European Parliament votes, the problem is those resolutions have lots of added detail through, so you have to go through it bit by bit. I mean, I do find it interesting the amount of coverage the, the fact that they didn't clap is getting compared to the coverage that maybe the MEPs who voted against sanctioning the oligarchs and the banks, which was Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil MEPs only a few weeks ago, didn't get half as much coverage. Mm. But look, you know, you can agree with different parties on different issues, but I think it was very clear from what Mary Lou Macdonald said today was we need the strongest possible sanctions. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Something Micheál Martin said as well, Barry Ward, that he agrees that the strongest possible sanctions are now needed. That is something that the Irish government is fully behind. But the EU is in discussions now around a further tranche of sanctions, sanctioning Russian billionaire Oleg Deripaska, of course, who's a major shareholder um, of the Limerick-based plant Akanish Illumina. Um, from that point of view, where does the government stand on that? I mean, while they're full speed behind sanctions in the strongest possible way. And where, I, where does it stand well, when it Ireland, comes to Irish Ireland influence there? one of the leaders in terms of pushing for sanctions against Russia. We're looking forward to the fifth package this week, which we hope will target specific individuals as well. My understanding is that even if um, Oleg uh, were named on that list, it wouldn't affect the, the, uh, the operations at, at, um, um, at Lumina. But Do you think he should be on that list? I, I think he should, yeah. I think, in fact, I mean, one of the things I would be very much in favour of is those personal sanctions targeted because one of the points that has been made by other people is that oligarchs aren't feeling the pain. Now, I don't necessarily accept that because their travel, for example, and their operations have been severely restricted. But I also think we should be very clearly seizing assets and we should be freezing assets. I think there's, there's, no, there's no real debate against that. Ireland has been fiercely in favour of that, as I understand it. It's in sharp contrast to what Lynn said in 2019, that we were overly confrontational in respect of Russia. And no, it's, it's, it's effective a resolution, yeah, which resolu calling for military a resolution action. which criticised the annexation of Crimea, Lynn. But so it's, it's nice that Sinn Féin have kindly, no, finally come around. No, but it called for military around. action, Brian, Barry, and this is what's really important about those resolutions. Lots of added bits get, go in, and you have to make a decision on whether or not you abstain on a position or whether you vote against or vote in favour. But only recently, since the war has taken place in Ukraine, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil MEPs voted against uh, okay. sanctions well, on Russian in, in oligarchs. December, that was, that was in, when, in December, that was when Russia had invaded Ukraine. In December, Ukraine, the, the only Sinn Féin MEP, Chris Wicks-Mallis, voted uh, with only 69 other MPs against a resolution in relation okay. to the build-up of troops on the Ukrainian Look, border. I want, to, I want to ask you, Gavin, just on the sanctions that we hear are coming down the line. It's obviously been discussed at EU level, but the US have already imposed new sanctions, among them targeting Vladimir Putin's daughters. Mm. Which is a, a very pointed gesture because it's trying to bring it a little bit closer to home. We know that Vladimir Putin and the Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov are already the subject of sanctions in much of the Western world anyway. But when you talk about the, the question of, well, are people feeling the pinch of those sanctions, for people like Vladimir Putin or Sergei Lavrov, Sergei Lavrov is only going to be travelling to other countries which are seen as somewhat friendly or a little bit more ambivalent towards the Russian administration. Vladimir Putin's not going to really be going anywhere at all. So it's not as if he's going to be suddenly going on a yacht and he finds out that his yacht can't moor somewhere. 
But for Vladimir Putin's daughters and Sergei Lavrov's children, which are also now subject to this latest round, that's where things begin, begin to pinch a little bit closer to home. If Vladimir Putin is already cutting something of an isolated figure because his billionaire pals that are close to the Kremlin aren't really feeling it, evidently that is not making much of an impact. So really now, although it is hardly going to be a very commercially significant mm. gesture, they're trying to maybe go for the Kremlin's heartstrings by targeting those who are the closest to the men in charge. Of course, from the EU level, the, those energy sanctions still to be looked at. Uh, well, let's go to other news now. And the central bank has revised its forecast for growth in the economy downwards, with inflation set to peak at around 8% this summer. This, along with uncertainty due to the war in Ukraine, has left many businesses facing increasing pressure to stay afloat. Well, for more on this, Kira Doherty comes to us live now from Cork City. Kira. Thanks, Claire. I am here in the Montanati Hotel in Cork City with Frankie Whelan, the owner of the hotel and the Wilder Townhouse in Dublin, Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, news editor for the Irish Examiner, and Derry Cronin, the managing director of Cronin Coaches. You are all very welcome to the Tonight Show and thank you for joining us. Frankie, I want to start with you because um, the Exchequer returns um, today showed a surge in consumer spending for the first quarter. Mm -hmm. Did you see that in both of your hotels in Dublin and in Cork equally? Um, probably unusually, uh, first quarter for Dublin was very subdued and that's carry on from last year. Dublin really hasn't quite recovered back to full uh, throttle yet as it normally would at this stage. Positive signs for Dublin though, uh, April, May, June are looking pretty good at the moment. I think from a Cork perspective, first quarter has been good. Uh, we are seeing a little bit of tentativeness coming through in May, June particularly. So uh, there are some worrying signs there. I suppose paired with uh, massive cost implications that are coming down the road. Um, given the uncertainty that the war has created, given the sort of rising um, costs that mm. everybody is facing, I think it is anticipated that that consumer spending is going to be affected. Are you preparing for that? Are you seeing that at all in your business? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, hotel businesses uh, tend to have quite a lot of their business pre-booked. So our revenue levels uh, in a lot of our sectors, like weddings, like tourism groups, etc., um, that, that revenue is, is booked in at a particular rate. Unfortunately, our costs aren't behaving to match that, though. So we're really, really being squeezed at this point. Um, what about the employment uh, issue here? I know the employment trends were very positive uh, today. That is a good thing, but that's mm. causing real difficulties for your industry. Have you had vacancies? Are you having problems mm. with recruitment? Mm. I, I, you know, I'm in the business a long time, nearly 30 years, and it's the worst we've seen. Uh, we have situations, not only in our own two hotels, other hotels, where we simply can't, you know, even if the business is subdued, we're not actually able to take the business because we don't have the manpower to fulfil the promise that we've, we've engaged in. Um, and it's at all levels. I think there was a massive brain drain at mid-management level, um, you know, after post-COVID. Uh, now we're finding it very difficult at all levels to, 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 to recruit as well. And we need absolutely big changes there in terms of where we source our employment from, because it's not working at the moment. So how are you responding to that? Are you having to, you know, at a very basic level, just up wages, make yeah. it more attractive? You are, and it's, you know, uh, you, you can go into it and say, oh, it's not just about wages, but you know what? It actually is. Uh, at this particular moment in time, there's a massive clamour as the, the Dublin hotel market reawakens and is seeking a lot of staff, etc. And that's pulling you know, teams from, from, from around the country 
up to Dublin, etc. So yes, wage increases are there. Um, you know, uh, obviously we're anticipating. We're not even waiting for the pension uh, legislation to come through. We've just gone and done it. Uh, you know, in terms of staff facilities, etc. Um, you know, we, we're we're right there at the cutting edge, and we're now competing with you know the Apples, the EMCs, etc. For quality people in a great career in hotels. And what about the other costs mm. that uh, your hotel yeah. are facing? I mean, food costs, for example, have clearly gone through the roof. Yeah, you know, we talk about protein, so it's meat, fish, etc. You know, we're seeing uh, 20, 22% increases. Um, utilities, energy, you know, and these are big bills for a hotel like this. Our utility bill is about 40k a month, and we've seen a rise of 37%. You know, this is, is really, really hurting at the moment. Um, Derry, you have actually offered your staff wage increases already, haven't you? Yeah, we planned for that for this year in line with inflation. Uh, we didn't necessarily anticipate inflation being as, as high, but we had planned for that, yeah. And was the idea that you wanted to cover sort of the rise in the cost of living for staff, or were you trying to retain staff as well? It's trying to make it, you're, you're constantly trying to do the best you can to make improvements along the way to retain staff for certain sure but to provide for them uh, that's the most important part of it and um, we mentioned uh, inflation there we know that it's up well above six percent eight percent by the summer and the energy and um, prices that you talked about frankie driving that a business like yours a coach company is completely exposed to that yeah we run a fleet of 80 vehicles around the country uh, we had anticipated increasing uh, uh, wages costs. We hadn't anticipated the increase in fuel. Uh, fuel had hit a 70% increase on 2019. Bear in mind now we're coming out of two years of the pandemic. 80% of people were carrying their overseas visitors. Uh, fuel is currently about 41% higher than it was in 2019. And in real numbers, we're anticipating that to be about 550,000 euros. 550,000 extra additional this cost, year. Yeah. So how does business like yours absorb that? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Um, I'm not sure how we absorb it. It's very difficult to absorb it. We're also dealing with fixed con contracts. And the same as for ordinary people in society, those that are on uh, uh, fixed income, uh, it's, it's hard for them to keep up with the increasing costs. The same for us, we're on fixed contracts. We're always looking ahead a couple of years, planning a few years ahead. So it's a difficult challenge for us now. But we knew it was going to be a challenging year. It's just going to be probably more so. You um, have, as I said, a coach company. 80% of those coaches are for tourists, bringing tourists into the country. Is that demand back? Are you seeing that for this season? Because uh, I know your, your season is generally around sort of March, April, May through to September. Yeah, so it's a seasonal business. May to September is the, the, the main season, but we had 2019 was a super year and the season had stretched. We had a good start to the year in March. Despite the issues, uh, it's one thing for the country to come to a stop. It's completely different to start to back up. Um, so we had a challenging year, a challenging start to it in March, but we have seen it come back. There's, uh, I was in the States twice in the last month myself, and there is demand there uh, for Ireland. Obviously, we have, we have concerns with what's going on at the moment, but there is demand. And we, we, we think that the visitors will come to Ireland for sure. Uh, it's interesting, Deirdre, to, I suppose, reflect on that central bank report today and the warning, how dangerous it is for wage rises to kind of match inflation or for wage rises to be seen uh, right across the economy. And yet you're looking at two businesses here and the reality of trying to retain staff 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really difficult for everybody on both ends of this because staff need to pay their own energy bills and they need to pay for their rent, which has gone up. They need to pay mortgages, which have gone up. House prices have gone through the roof. Um, and obviously, employers are absorbing costs from every direction as well. It's funny, you look at a central bank report like that and they said, you know, growth has been really high. And you're going, oh, good news for a change, you're saying. But actually, that's not good news because now it means we're into this kind of inflationary um, situation. So I think like the fact that the tax revenues have been up um, up to 7.1 billion, that's up 32 percent like that's actually kind of an enormous vote of confidence in the economy in one sense but as i say we're looking at this then um in conjunction with the inflation and it's just going to kind of keep into that cycle you know yeah and i suppose the difficulty is we're comparing that to um the exchequer returns this time last year when the country was in the grip of covid so yeah. you know they're, yeah. they're, they're skewed they are of course now i suppose the thing is when we looked at those those exchequer returns last year i remember again there was quite positive news in a lot of those because you had a lot of the multinationals and you had a lot of the um the uh, the big companies down in Little Island here, Pfizer and the likes, who were exporting hugely, um, largely I suppose to do with the pandemic as well. So those figures never became as bad as people expected them to, I think, during the pandemic. So the, the low wasn't as bad maybe as we might have expected. I think though, when you're looking at this, um, in terms of the outlook, people are seeing kind of bad news in every direction really at the moment. And like, it's very difficult when you look at it, you mentioned the, the uh, rise in energy prices for businesses and for householders. I mean, we had a report in the paper on Monday, Noel Baker, my colleague, um, did it into family carers. And you have people whose children are on, you know, oxygen machines and who need the house to be very warm all the time for kids who are very ill. And I mean, they have no hope of absorbing these kind of costs on a carer's payment. Um, Anybody who's on a fixed, income yeah. is definitely getting poorer. Absolutely, you know, and there's certain entitlements maybe that some people on a fixed income have, like pensioners will have um, obviously a, a heating allowance, which not all family carers would have. So you're going to have an awful lot of people clamouring for an awful lot of things. Um, and you have already. Um, we've had the, this story, we've had stories around um, the wage inflation that was mentioned. I think a half of employers at the minute are looking at increasing wages this year. Um, but we had Jed Nash coming out the other day saying that one third of um, employees in, in employment in Ireland are earning less than a living wage. I mean, that's not sustainable in ordinary circumstances. In these circumstances, I mean, uh, how are these, those people going to live? And in terms of the house prices and the rent prices here, we obviously hear about the national figures. We hear about the figures in Dublin time and time mm. again. What is the situation here in Cork with house supply? Well, nobody will be surprised to learn that Kinsale is the third most expensive air code in the country. So Dublin can kind of put that in its pipe and smoke it. But the, um, I mean, in the city and in the county, uh, it's, it's gone from being a thing where, you know, two years ago we were reporting on people leaving Dublin to go and buy, you know, a mansion in the country for half nothing and have a great time. Um, now I suppose those same people are looking at their diesel uh, bill and wondering how they're going to cope with that. But the south side house prices now, the average house price is 340 and the north side it's about 280. Um, in Ballincollig, which is a suburb just outside the city, um, 358,000. So you're looking at prices that are kind of well beyond the reach of, you know, your sort of average nurse and a guard or whatever. Um, if they're having to pay a rent which is up around 1500 euros a month in the city now and try and save for a mortgage it's just not doable for most people um, Jerry, I suppose one of the other concerns for business now is that the government supports uh, the EWSS for example is coming to an end is that going to be difficult for your business yeah it's going to be first of all the supports were, were super uh, to be fair the government did I think what they needed to do and they took care of, of people first. Uh, so supports helped us get through two really tough years. But it's going to be a real challenge. This is going to be operationally and financially one of the most difficult years. But uh, good times will be ahead when we get through that. But it's going to be a huge financial challenge for sure. 
Would you say the same? I mean, do you think the outlook for the regions here, the outlook for businesses in Cork is good mm. or uncertain? No, I think, um, you know, anybody coming to Cork at the moment will see a city on the rise. It's tremendously optimistic. I think we've just put our head down, clip our ears back, get through this. Um, I think uh, it'll be massively challenging with, with expenses coming at us, etc. But the future is bright. The future for Cork is, is, is really, really good. Well, some of that good Cork spirit on mm -hmm. display here. Uh, my thanks to uh, my panel after the break. Claire will be in studio and she will have more reaction to those central bank warnings. Welcome back. Well, just before the break, we heard from business owners in Cork City who are battling rising costs and economic uncertainty with warnings of inflation hitting 8% by this summer. How will businesses cope and what will it mean for consumers? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. and employees alike. Well, Sinn Féin's Lynn Boylan and Fine Gael's Barry Ward are still with us. And joining our panel is businesswoman Nora Casey and columnist with the Irish Times, Mark Paul. Um, you're very welcome along to the programme. Um, to come to you, Mark, and what we heard today, the overview, we had a couple of different lines out we had from the, the Central Bank and indeed from the Department of Finance on, on how we're faring. Uh, consumer spending is up and, and there is a surplus at the start of the year. So from that perspective, Things looking quite good, but it's a very mixed and uncertain picture, really, isn't it, overall? Yeah, I mean, Irish consumers came out of the pandemic kind of fighting fit and ready to go. I mean, um, the government had subsidised wages and, and, and had, had, had put a lot of support in place for the economy. 
we ha everybody had lots and lots of savings, not everybody, some people had no savings mm. and that's I suppose an important point is that there is um, a, 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 a section of society that's had a really tough pandemic but, but overall consumers were, were fighting fit and ready to go. Um, so the exchequer figures that we got this morning that showed that you know, VAT numbers are bouncing back, um, all of that was pre-Ukraine, pre the crisis um, and, and Ukraine has really changed the economics of everything. It looks like now the, the country is going to go from probably a small surplus this year to probably back into deficit. The country has to cope with the cost of housing Ukrainian refugees um, and also inflation is taking off. Inflation was already a problem even before um, the Ukraine crisis. Um, from, from around about the middle of last year, the pandemic caused havoc with shipping costs. That was the first one. Um, and then fuel costs started to rise. Fuel costs have uh, taken off much faster now because of Ukraine. But the next problem and the real problem that's coming down the track politically for the government, but also for the poorest people in society, is the cost of food. Uh, and, and that's going to be a much, much bigger crisis, I think, than, than, than the fuel crisis, because we're coming out of winter now into mm -hmm. the summer. Um, people need less fuel to heat their houses, um, but you still go to the supermarket every week. And um, Ukraine and Russia in particular are both big exporters of wheat um, and, so, and cereals, maize. Um, so anything, um, you know, if you go to the supermarket, bread, pasta, um, anything that has those ingredients in it, the prices are going to start going up. And for years, we've had very, 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 almost minimal food inflation in Ireland. Aldi and Lidl come into the market. We had a huge um, battle there. But I think Irish consumers are going to get a shock with the price of their food over the next five, six, seven months. And, and the government is really going to have to um, um, step up in some way and try and address that. And Lynn, plenty of people can insulate themselves against this rising cost of living. Like it does not affect everyone in this country the same way. And we know it is very expensive in this country to be poor as well. Um, what, what do you make of, 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 I suppose, the outlook that was presented today uh, and how you think, you know, what, what appears to be emerging, certainly, and, and, and was always there, but we're seeing the gap widening in this sort of two-tier society? No, absolutely. And that, that's the, the critical thing is we do have a two-tier society. So people who are working from home and weren't able to travel were, were saving significant amounts of money while there were other people who were already hard-pressed during the pandemic who are now being crippled by the, the cost of living increases. You know, and, and I think it is welcome. I was listening to, to the Minister, Pascal Donoghue, on the radio today, sort of talking about that they are going to, you know, introduce measures that will, you know, make things like the carbon tax increase cost negative on households. Um, which is a welcome U-turn on his part because it's only a few weeks ago where he was saying he wasn't going to do anything. Um, but I think what we've seen... So you, you acknowledge that that's doing something now. Does that put the carbon tax argument to bed then no, for Sinn Féin? No, no, we'll wait and see what he's going to offer. He said there's no, be, not going to be any mini budget. This is what he was saying on the radio was he's going to come forward with proposals. What we want is to see targeted measures for people. We've put forward our costed proposals, the 1.4 billion cost of living package, um, but also then the other issues around the vast, the excise, the carbon tax increases that are really just measures that the government have at their hand. We've put forward lots of proposals, um, but what we're saying to the government is we know you can't do everything. Nobody is yeah. saying you can, but you have to do more, particularly for that cohort. I think one of the speakers there was saying, you know, one third of the workers are on less uh, than the living wage. They're the, the workers who we really have to help, those low and middle income households who are to the pin of their collar.
Barry, is the government going to do more? You know, we've had Pascal Donoghue and, and members of the government coming out and saying, look, there will be no mini budget. There's going to be no drastic measures between now and the budget come October. So what are people going to be offered at the end of this month when we get this cost of, of living, a package of measures? Well, if you look at the measures that have already come in, Ireland has actually moved faster than most of the European Eurozone countries to deal with this. How? But at the How? heart of this, well, there's a whole range of measures, including particularly in the, the area of energy, because at the heart of this is the cost of fuel. Now, now, <clears throat> there is a little bit of a, of a red herring being introduced by Sinn Féin to suggest that the cost of fuel is somehow contributed to substantially by the carbon tax. It isn't. Carbon tax is, is a fraction, a small fraction, of the increase in fuel. Most of that has come from factors outside the government's control, which would be the increase in, in the cost of, of gas and other fuels internationally. Okay, but let's talk, say, about the fuel allowance and all of that. Is that going to be extended? That's due to expire on Friday. Are we going to see measures around that? Are we going to see the eligibility to people who, who can actually uh, um, get that fuel allowance? Who, who currently can't at the moment, yeah. but they're really on the line and they probably need it. Will they be getting it? Like, will there be those sort of targeted measures to help those who really need it? Yeah. Well, as you know, the, the, the 200 euro energy credit will come to people in the coming in, in, in very short order. In terms of the fuel allowance, um, there's an extra 125 euro being made available to people. So there is a targeted element to that because they are the people mm. who will not benefit to the same extent in relation to the energy credit. So there are those measures. But to be absolutely clear, the government has made it has made it absolutely clear that they are they are committed to dealing with this problem it is not possible to cushion everybody from the effects of, of the international crisis. But the government is doing what it can do. Okay. Its hands are res restricted. In terms of things that Sinn Féin have been calling for, like changes in VAT rates and things like that, they know that the government is restricted in what it can 60, do that under the VAT directive. countries have taken measures on VAT rates and nine and EU countries, countries have higher VAT rates than See, this is Pol deeply Pol disingenuous. But it is a point that we, we have said we'd love to do something, yeah. but you know what? Nine, we we nine have to wait till Europe says it's OK. Nine countries have introduced price caps. Yeah, we already have a situation where our VAT is lower than the vast majority of, of countries in the European Union. We know that if we were to reduce our VAT, it would have okay. to go up to a higher right. rate. So we're protecting people in that regard. But this narrative from Sinn Féin is really deeply disingenuous. All right, Liz, Nora, um, just to bring, bring you in on this, in terms of you know what, what people may have been holding out for with this rising cost of living was an increase in wages that would at least help. I mean, we're hearing about energy credits, but already we're hearing those energy credits are going to be wiped by you know the increases, the inflation increases we're seeing. So um, where does that um, leave people in terms of wage demands when we hear the central bank saying, you know, we can't do too much because it'll lead to an inflationary spiral and that's not good for anyone? Yeah, I think there's an element of monetary um, incompetence there in terms of asking workers to shoulder the pain. You can't, as a central bank, which is independent and serves the needs of consumers and the wider economy, then say the only solution is for workers not to ask for a salary increase. And by the way, it's supposed to be an apolitical body, yet the Taoiseach almost said the same thing two weeks ago. What you need from the central bank is to address the twin challenges of both inflation and climate. And not, and of course, you know, where are they saying that large corporations should be restrained? that it isn't necessarily the case that increasing wages should lead to rising costs and rising prices. It should lead to a drop in profits. Um, why is it the case that the only solution is to wholesale, you know, almost delegate the need for inflation restraint onto, onto salaries? I mean, it's not good enough. And by the way, I think in terms of the SME sector, when I say small and medium, people imagine it is small. They represent 99% of the private business sector. They employ seven out of 10 people. 
So in terms of their contribution to the economy, it's less than half. That says the margins are tight. And we're not starting from 2022. Back in 2020, mm. there was 10.3 billion to 11.7 billion shortfall in revenue reported by over 50% of those SMEs. And you're right that hospitality and retail are the two hardest hits. So you would have felt, I guess, in the last two years, we should have seen more insolvencies. And yet we've seen very little insolvency in that sector because 10% of people rely on the wage subsidy scheme, but 70% in the hospitality sector, 70%. So we're definitely going to see some insolvencies in that area over the course of the coming year. And Mark Paul is right, we already saw inflation yeah. at the beginning of the year, the Ukraine has added another layer to it. But most of those SMEs have drawn down borrowings. I personally helped a lot of them to draw down borrowings. They've added personal guarantees. They've dipped into their cash reserve. They're not entering a year with a level playing field. And they're relying on those supports and those supports are, are, of course, ceasing. We are going to see, aren't we, companies and businesses going to the wall in a big way, Mark? Yeah, because, um, you know, it's like the economy took, you know, one enormous paracetamol um, um, with, with, the, with the state supports and, and, and the support from the government. And once that wears off, you know, and, and you kind of see where, um, where the damage is being done and where, where, where the pain is in the economy. But... It also had to happen at some stage. I mean, you can't have an entire semi-state economy. Um, and the economy can't survive for years and years and years on state support. Um, and, and so uh, once that had to happen, the two sectors, uh, as, as Nora said, where, where the pain is going to be felt the most are retail and hospitality. They're the two parts of the economy that are going to be hit most by inflation. They're going to be hit most by, um, by, by the labour shortage. They're going to be hit most by increases in wages. And they're the two parts of the economy that are least able to deal with it because they've, every time in the pandemic when there was a lockdown and when there was mm. restrictions, um, they were the first two parts of the economy to get hit. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of insolvencies, a lot of zombie businesses out there and, and that are going to go to the wall. Yeah, uh, I mean, on the on the wage issue, really, like that will frustrate a lot of people, Barry, to think that, you know, everything is going up. We're hearing about this 8% come the summer, potentially, and yet r wages are just simply not going to rise accordingly. And then we've got this warning that if you do that, it'll lead to this and lead to more problems. But but will it really? And should, should, should that message be out there or should there be more support and more ways of helping people at this time? Well, the first thing is we can't talk about wages as a single thing because they obviously vary between industry sectors, between private and, and non-private companies, etc. Um, but it's clear from what the central bank has said that if we have a huge increase in wages, it is, of course, going to fund inflation, which we already know is a problem. Um, I think the government, first of all, as has been acknowledged in your Cork panel and by other people, there have been huge supports in place. And I think Mark is right. It cannot continue indefinitely and the government has given a lot of warning in that regard from months ago that this would have to come to an end. Nobody wants to see businesses going to the wall. If businesses are unsustainable, then we will do what we can for well, them. What are you going to do? Um, well, I mean, for starters, the supports are not just money. There are, there are other supports that are put in place in terms of business supports and things like that. They're operated through local enterprise mm. offices and a range of other services. But I think it's important for businesses to engage with them to the extent that they can. As Mark says, it's unfortunate that there will be businesses who will not survive. And, and it's not just inflation, it's not just wages, it's labour shortage. I have businesses in my own areas, cafes that can't get baristas, restaurants that can't get waiting staff. It's a massive problem. And, and sorry, that's yeah. the point. The central bank and the government is totally disconnected with what's happening out there. I don't know a single employer that isn't fighting to retain staff and recruit staff. In fact, the Grant Thornton report only recently said that 30% of businesses you know, saw emigration, saw people going back to their native countries, and over 64 
34% of them said the single biggest problem for their growth in the economy was lack of skilled staff. So it's, it's silly to say don't give them salary increases because you'll in hype inflation because they have to. It's happening all the time. Briefly on that, Lynn. Yeah, no, because I think, and the, the, the point Nora made is really important about it. We always go for wage constraint as opposed to profit restraint. But one of the biggest pressures on wages and why workers are calling for greater wages, we do have a low wage economy, mm. but also we have really, really high costs in terms of housing and in terms of childcare. And they're two measures that the government could do okay. more on. Address the cost of rental, address the cost of childcare. And that does reduce the pressure for workers because they're two of their biggest outlays. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Lots more after this break where we'll be back to Cork to hear about the tourism sector's hopes for a fruitful summer season. Stay with us. Now, with the summer tourism fast approaching and a cost of living crisis swirling throughout the country, what can we expect for the season ahead? Well, I'm joined by Virgin Media's Southern correspondent, Paul Byrne, and Vulture Ireland's Jenny DeSalle. You're both very welcome to the programme. Paul, I want to start with you on that central back report today which also stated that the experience of inflation is not uniform across the economy and that it is more acute these cost of living increases is felt more acutely by those who are older by those on lower incomes and by those in rural Ireland is that what you're seeing on the ground here being honest no <laughs> it might sound strange um, I'm finding I'm meeting people on the street everybody from all walks of life they're finding it extremely difficult uh, putting bread and butter on the table is becoming harder and harder every day um, I I met, I met a couple the other day and it's 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 very sad in one sense they saved for years to buy a house they've got two children they've got another on the way they're eight years into their mortgage and they just can't pay it anymore they're going without just to keep the banks happy and they're genuinely at this stage thinking about defaulting on the mortgage let it go let the house be repossessed and they're out onto the street and at that stage somebody will have to turn they'll turn to the emergency services or the hostels or you know for, for help because the couple said they're honestly they might be better off if they're on social welfare because it, it, a lot of people are on social welfare through no fault of their own but people on social welfare in this day and age seem to be better insulated than people who are working and trying to pay rents or paying pay a mortgage they're finding it very, very difficult. And I know the demand for community supports is growing and growing. You spend a lot of time speaking to those organisations. What are they saying? Would they agree with you? I'm sure they also would deal with a lot of people who are on those social welfare supports who are really, really struggling. You've got Penny Dinners here in Cork. You've got the St Vincent de Paul. You've got MABS, the Money Advice Budgeting Service. They are seeing people calling to their doors who they've never seen before. There's people droning in debt, they're banging on the door, they're reaching out for lifelines. It is serious. It's honestly, it's a, it's a tsunami of people crying out for help at the moment. And this is obviously uh, the home of the Taoiseach and the home of the uh, Minister for Public Expenditure. Do people feel that they are doing enough? Uh, Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, Michael McGrath will say they're doing all they can. Those who are finding it hard and put their hand in their pocket and coming out with very little will say both are, are doing little or nothing. Mm. 
and they're, and they're suffering. Um, I just want to come to you, Jenny. I want to look at the comments, I suppose, that um, the Fulcher Ireland Chief Executive Paul Kelly made today. He said that, you know, housing uh, Ukrainian refugees in hotels on a long-term basis is potentially very dangerous to the tourism sector. And I know that sector is incredibly important uh, to uh, people here in Cork. How is it exposed and how is it potentially going to be impacted? Well, Kira, I suppose in the first instance, we've got to talk about the Ukrainian uh, crisis as a humanitarian crisis. And in fairness to the tourism industry, they have absolutely stepped up to provide the short term accommodation. But, uh, you know, there's a consensus right across government that it is not the right thing for the long term. It's not the right thing for the Ukrainian families. We know that hotel rooms are not the right place to have um, children. So just in terms of actually uh, the tourism industry, if you look at it, for every euro that's spent on accommodation, two euros and 50 cents is spent in the wider economy. So if people don't have places to stay, then they're not going to be coming to areas and spending that two euros and 50 cents. And that will impact on restaurants, on pubs, on attractions and activities. So we do need to be careful about the level of accommodation that is taken out of the system. We had um, a hotelier Frankie Wilhelm here speaking here earlier and he was speaking about the real difficulty trying to fill uh, vacancies. And I know Falter Ireland were also talking today about 30% of businesses saying that if they cannot fill the vacancies, they will simply have to close their doors. So what is Falter Ireland doing to try and bring people in to take up these jobs? So I suppose there's uh, numerous things that we're doing. In the first instance, it's really about some of the short term. So as Frankie was saying, it's really urgent and, and businesses need help right now. So there's a couple of things we're doing. We need to remember in the tourism industry, a lot of the businesses are small SMEs. They don't have HR departments. They're not really experienced in this. So one of the things we're doing is building capability. So helping them to recruit in a competitive market. Because you need to remember, the market has changed now. It's not where can I get a job, it's which job will I take. So businesses need to be able to sell their business. They need to be able to interview to actually win the candidate and they also need to onboard them successfully. Uh, Falter Ireland is also doing a recruitment campaign so we're investing about 450,000 and that's targeting students but it's also targeting you know parents that are looking to return to the workforce and also uh, retirees because we've actually found that a number of retirees are interested in coming into the industry for two or three days a week uh, as well as that we're actually connecting industry. So you're not, sorry, you're not looking abroad necessarily you're looking here at home for people we're, to fill these vacancies. We're looking at both. So we are looking to connect with the talent pools both domestically. So like I said, students, uh, we're also working with the Department of Social Welfare to connect with those that are, are, are on the, the dole, etc. But we are looking at international. So we're, um, we're currently in the process of doing a piece of research to map where will Ireland competitively uh, be at an advantage to attract international because we need to remember this labour crisis is not unique to Ireland so the international market is very competitive. Uh, and speaking of that international market I would have thought that it would have been easier to bring people into Dublin that people when they come to Ireland perhaps want to go to the capital. Is that still the case or are people now more attracted to the idea of coming somewhere like Cork given the house prices, the rental crisis? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've seen from COVID actually is a kind of a move to actually looking for the non-urban experiences. So people wanted to get out into space, uh, to be outdoors, to actually do the living. So we saw that in the domestic market and we have seen it internationally. I think on the positive piece, there's huge demand and uh, desire to travel uh, and the season is looking positive. Um, 
access has actually returned to in July it'll be back to about 90% of it was in 2019 and Tourism Ireland have seen in the four core markets that there's a huge desire to travel to Ireland. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, that's it from us in Cork tonight. My thanks to Paul and Jenny and to all of my guests here. Now it's back to you, Claire. Uh, now back here in studio, thanks for that, Kira. Back here in studio, Nora Casey and Mark Paul are still here with us. And Nora, um, it's interesting listening to the hospitality sector and they're confident that people do want to travel. They, they, they want to get back out and about, enjoy open spaces. Is this the summer that will help save the hospitality sector in Ireland, do you think? I don't know. I think after two years of staycationing and Twitter and social media hasn't been kind to the level of price increases we've seen in the Irish sector, if people are, you know, they have one holiday and they're trying to save their cash, they might want to go for one of the holidays abroad where they're guaranteed sunshine and the deals are spectacularly good, except Dublin Airport is doing a bit of an own goal at the moment and everybody's looking at three, four hour waits and whether it's worth it. So maybe, you know, we're the Dublin misery bunch compared to that great positivity out of Cork. Yeah, maybe I haven't heard such problems at Cork, Cork Airport. Cork might be better. Or elsewhere. <laughs> I, I think... A lot of people in my circle are going abroad. They just feel that this is the first time they can do it. They're getting great deals on flights and, are, and Do you think people are choosing to go abroad because what you mentioned there about value for money, that they don't feel they're going to get it here this summer? No, and, and coupled with, you know, perhaps precarious weather. You know, last week it looked like the summer derived. This week it looks like we're in the depths of winter. So um, I think people have staycationed quite a lot over the last two years and have seen lots of corners of Ireland and maybe they feel they might like a change. I mean, it's very unfortunate at a time when the hospitality sector is looking to recruit. But I'd say every single day I'm inundated with press releases from every sector, every employment area mm. saying that they're launching a recruitment campaign. And I think that they're right in saying that it's competitive. Most people who went back to their native countries, they're needed there too. There's full employment in most of these areas. Yeah. They're all looking for workers. Like it is one of the criticisms of working in hospitality that people simply aren't paid enough for the job they're doing, uh, Mark. Is that going to present itself with difficulties when hotels are trying to recruit? It is. And, and, and look, if hotels and, and hospitality businesses paid more in wages, they may, maybe they wouldn't have so much of a labour crisis, but then they would have to pass those costs on and then suddenly you've got more inflation and then you get into that spiral effect. Um, just on, on the tourism sector, I think one of the um, critical things for the Irish tourism sector this year is what do Americans do? Because Americans are going to be critical for the success of the Irish um, uh, sector this year. They stay longer, they spend more, they visit more places, um, but they also see Europe as just one block and they see a war in Europe in Ukraine and they don't really distinguish between different parts of Europe. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting to see if we get plane loads and coach loads of Americans back. And another big problem for the Irish tourism industry at the moment is that going, flying back into the United States, you have to do an antigen test here before you fly back in. And if you bring over a coach load of 50 or 60 Americans to do the Ring of Kerry and, um, and, and, and down to Connemara, um, when you give them all, all 50 or 60 antigen tests, you're probably going to find a couple of them are COVID positive going back. So tour operators are finding that really difficult to cope with at the moment. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the market at the moment, but Americans will be critical, absolutely critical for the recovery this year. OK, well, there we'll have to leave it. That is it from us. My thanks to our guests both here and down in Cork tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care.
This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 